This is a Queensland Department of Education podcast. Hi, my name is Virginia Bowditch from the Department of Education. In this podcast series on dispute management, we talk to three principals about dealing with conflict. Conflict is inevitable. At some point, we will all experience conflict, and it can be very stressful. This stress can lead to negative impacts on our physical and mental health. How then do we manage our experience of conflict to ensure we are caring for ourselves? We are joined today by Sean Bennett, Principal at Minimbar State School and Peter Johnston, Dispute Mediator from the Department's Principal Complex Matters Referral Team. Sean and Peter will share their experiences of conflict in schools and how we might better manage what can potentially be the negative impacts of conflict. Hi Peter and Sean, thanks for joining me today. Can we start with you, Sean? Can you tell us a little bit about your experience working in education in Queensland? Thank you. I um, started teaching about 30 years ago, um, went into it in my mid-twenties, started as a high school science maths teacher and went through the year level head of department deputy principal pathway. And then around 12, 13 years ago, I was asked to do a six months acting principal role in a primary school. That six months turned into 18 months acting. And then 10 years ago, I was appointed principal of my current school, Minimba, and I've been there ever since. Um, I've taught all over Queensland from as far west as Longreach, up to Tully, Gladstone, Townsville, Mara, and um, been down in the southeast Queensland corner for about 12, 13 years. And yeah, love the job and love being able to experience different places in Queensland and the ability to explore. Well, that's great to hear. What was your first experience of being embroiled in a conflict situation in your role as an educator and how did you respond to that? It's hard to remember sort of back to the very first 30 years ago, but I do remember my first as a deputy. I was in a high school around 20 years ago. Year 10 boy had picked a fight with another child and beaten the living daylights out of him. Um, the boy was suspended as was the straight sort of consequence back then. The dad came in, he was an absolutely huge bloke. He was shouting, carrying on, threatening the principal, threatening me, anyone else around. It was just incredible. The principal at the time, just calm, placid, and just took it. I just couldn't believe how it just sort of washed over him. When the dad left was when I actually saw the stress show on the boss's face. He just looked absolutely shell-shocked. And he'd been in the community for years, so he knew the families, knew everything. It was actually interesting, instead of querying me or sort of making a statement, he actually asked me why the dad had acted that way, and I had no idea. The boss then used it as a teachable moment. He actually said it was a proud Sicilian family, and the dad was acting out of fear and love. It's just one of those things that stuck with me, and it's about the motivation. And so I actually learned a lot that day that helped me as I went through school leadership and how you actually respond and react to parents. And I still to this day remember how this huge bloke was carrying on and the boss just let it wash over. And at the end of it, when it was gone, that's when it all suddenly went wallop and hit him. In your opinion, what are the key pressure points that lead to educators being involved in conflicts with parents or carers? I think the obvious one is misunderstandings, which can also come back to poor communication or miscommunication. The parents have often had poor school experiences and so their reactions and their behaviours reflect that and so they often come across as aggressive and yet again they're acting out of that fear and love. They love their kids, they want what's best but they're acting out of fear and so it's always looking for the intent and so trying to get parents and teachers when the teachers are feeling it as well to 
to understand that we all want what's best for the child. We may be coming at it from different sides, but with the same coin, we all want the kid to do well, but it's how we get there, and that's one of the things. So while we can talk about communication, though, sometimes you can have two phone calls, two letters, three informal chats outside the classroom. You could tattoo it onto someone's forehead. You could prepare an interpretive dance, and the other person will still say, I didn't know about it, you never told me. And you have to accept that, that in that person's world, it wasn't important at the time. They didn't register it. And now it is important, and all of a sudden it's become an issue. And so it's pretty much always comes back to communication in some way. What do you think is the impact on educators, short-term and long-term, of having to deal with conflict in their jobs? Okay, short-term, um, we tend to feel angry or upset. Um, we can go with why me, things like that, or a bit of blame. Most teachers are really resilient, most administrators. We bounce back fairly quickly. Longer term, though, the um, stress accumulates. I know from personal experience, from watching myself, my colleagues, and it's easy to look in hindsight. No one ever makes a mistake then. But the stress accumulates. You can be tired, withdrawn. You end up with sleepless nights, waking up at 2 in the morning, playing and overthinking things. Um, you get to points where you feel angry or quick to anger. You stop doing things you enjoy. You can at times use too much alcohol. Maybe you can get blood pressure problems, heart problems. The list goes on and on. The trick is to catch it early so you don't get down that path and you actually get a chance to regroup and re-energise and um, be able to let go when you need to. How do you catch it early? I actually think that's probably one of the hardest things. I don't think ourselves we do catch it early, but the people around us that we trust, we love, our family, our friends, trusted colleagues, they're the ones that do catch it. And when they start asking you, are you okay? How are you doing? How do you feel about that last incident with blah, blah, blah? That's when you need to start listening because they're the ones that are giving you those early alerts. And that's where we need to actually yeah, take that breather and seek help if you need it. Peter, as someone involved in conflict management for 30 years, can you tell us what behaviours you usually observe of people in conflict? Yeah, I'll, t I'll talk about the unhelpful behaviours, uh, Virginia, and I think there's three main behaviours that we see, and, and they're all unhelpful for slightly different reasons. Firstly is the person that we see who, who avoids conflict, the person who chooses to, if you like, stick their head in the sand and, and sometimes goes to great lengths to pretend that conflict isn't actually happening. They'd prefer not to deal with it, to pretend it's not occurring, uh, rather than actually face the problem and, and deal with it up front. Often not helpful for them and, and certainly not helpful for the, for the person that they're in conflict with. The second behaviour that we often see is the person who uh, simply uh, surrenders. They put up the white flag and give in to the other person, roll over. And again, that's not always necessarily helpful. It can be a good short-term solution, but people ultimately often become resentful when that, that occurs. And the third one is, uh, and I guess this is the one that most of us are familiar with, is the, the person who has to have the win. They will use whatever tactics they have to to get the upper hand, withholding of information, intimidation, threats, misrepresenting, as some of the stuff we heard from Sean a few minutes ago. It's very unpleasant when you have to deal with that person, but all too familiar. They're some of the typical behaviours we see, and as I said, all unhelpful, but uh, in different ways. What does your experience tell you about the impact of conflict on individuals? What are the hidden perils? It, it's a lot like what we just heard from Sean also. Uh, I've seen some terrible impacts upon uh, principals and other, other school staff. Poorly managed conflict often has the potential to wear you down, and it's a bit like a, a dripping tap. Uh, it just wears away and, and wears away and, and ultimately can have you know, very detrimental uh, effects. 
we heard a little bit from Sean about some of those big blow-ups, the person who storms into the office and swears and curses and what have you. But it's not always that massive blow-up that does the most damage, and I think that came through in, in Sean's comments as well. I've seen it firsthand in, in schools. The parent who uh, will send 10 emails a day into the office and the principal just um, shakes when they, they see that next being on their computer or is constantly in the school office, you know, having a, a go at the principal or, or other school staff. It does wear people down and it can lead to big um, issues for physical health and mental health, both of the principal and staff. What are some key factors to be aware of in managing your own well-being when you are involved in a conflict? Yeah, there's a couple of things, Virginia, that I think are really uh, important. Sean mentioned before having that good support network around you and those people will often bring to you know, your attention when they see something different and they see you having difficulties and that's great. I think it's extra important also that we deliver, deliver or develop a, a level of self-awareness. I think that's critical as well. Being constantly aware of what's happening and the impact on you. So when you feel that stress occurring, when you feel the blood pressure going up, et cetera, being aware of that and being able to do something about it. It can sneak up on us. It can be very insidious, this sort of stress. So I think raising your level of self-awareness mentally, physically, and the impacts that these sort of events have on us is important. The second thing I'd suggest also, really important to have someone um, that you can debrief with so that when you, you know, do have that difficult person that you're dealing with, whether it's a blow-up, whether it's, a, as I said, the, the sort of more insidious ongoing stuff, I think it's vital that we have a, a chance at some point to, to let the steam off and to, to have the conversation with someone, to be able to vent a little bit and release that pressure. I absolutely accept and understand that needs to be done in a confidential and professional way. But I think if you've, if you've got that trusted colleague or that person that you can speak to and that you can, you know, release some of that, um, that stress and pressure, bottling up the stress won't lead to a good outcome, I can assure you. Peter, what services does the department offer to help? That's a, a very good point, Virginia. Whilst we, you know, sometimes can rely upon those local supports, principals and, and school staff shouldn't forget the, um, you know, the great assistance and supports that are available through the, through the department's mechanisms as well. Again, I'd certainly encourage school staff to be speaking to, um, to, uh, to their advisors and, and getting information about employee assistance services. Does conflict always need to be a negative experience for those involved or is there a silver lining on that dark cloud? I think we do um, default most often to thinking of conflict as a negative thing and a bad thing. I always suggest to people that the first step is taking the opportunity to reevaluate your perception of conflict and, and what does it mean. Naturally, we, our instinct is, is a fight or flight response when we're dealing with conflict. Our, our brains are kind of hardwired to see conflict as a threat. Our reactions kick in and, and we take one of those sort of negative responses. Either way, whether it's a fight or a flight response, those sort of Reactions often don't lead to our, our, um, our best outcomes. Often our thinking becomes confused when we're in that mode and we have other negative physical responses as well. So we need to fight those natural reactions, um, which is sometimes uh, difficult to do, but consciously look for the, the silver lining that, that you mentioned in terms of um, what we can get for conflict. It can be tough um, and sometimes tougher than, um, than other occasions, but you know, and it takes a level of skill. But if we manage conflict effectively, we can get some good outcomes, we can have better relationships, uh, we can have new understandings, and ultimately we can have more creative solutions on occasions too if we, if we navigate conflict effectively. So uh, the tip is for people to slow down, battle those natural uh, reactions, and, and try and focus as much as possible on the positive outcomes. What can people do to achieve positive outcomes from conflict? 
Yeah, there's two main things I'd, I'd suggest, I think, Virginia. The first one, and, and these are things, again, that we don't necessarily do uh, naturally, but the first thing to do would be to put yourself in the other person's shoes for just a moment. We often are very preoccupied about um, our own worldview and, and what's going on for us, but I would suggest to people to be a little bit inquisitive and, as I said, try and, and put yourself in the other person's shoes. Get a better understanding of what's important to them, and that will probably give you a new perspective on uh, on the situation, on the conflict, and, and maybe ways to move forward. The second thing I'd certainly recommend to people is, is don't focus on positions. Um, and I, I guess that's a little bit along the lines of what Sean was talking about before. Ask the why questions, and it gives us often gives us a better understanding, and it also gives us more options to, to work with. When we understand better what's driving um, our position in the dispute and what's driving the position of the other person, uh, we can often come up with new solutions that actually work better for both parties. It's better understanding not the what, but the why. I had a recent example of dealing with a, a parent and school dispute where the, the parents' wishes contravene school policy. And so the response from the, the principal is, no, we, we're not doing that. And they were sort of locked into a, um, a bit of a, a battle. But once the school understood the drivers for that parent, what was motivating them, all of a sudden a new solution became available that was acceptable to school, but also answered the questions for the, um, the parents as well. So it was a, a positive outcome. But as I said, it was about asking the why questions rather than locking themselves into position. Thanks. That's very interesting. Sean, in conclusion, what suggestions would you make to your colleagues in terms of their self-care when managing conflict in the workplace? I think firstly is recognise we're not superhuman. We're not robots. These things do affect us. And as Peter's alluded to, that drip, drip effect of lots of little things, not just the big ones, all makes an impact and takes a toll. Be prepared to talk to your two or three trusted colleagues. Listen to your family when they're asking you how you are, things like that. And don't be afraid to talk to your supervisor who may have had experience in the past of dealing with something similar or look at it from a different lens. It just gives you a different framework to look at. If things get really bad, talk to the um, services that the department offers, such as the employee advisors, go to your GP. Also, make sure longer term, you book your long service. Make sure you've got things in your life to look forward to. So focus on those things you enjoy so that work doesn't become all-consuming. Go out for dinner. Go four-wheel driving, fishing. Do whatever your hobbies are and gives you that enthusiasm. Um, for me, I make fishing rods and rebuild fishing rods. So it's when you're busy doing those things, you don't get a chance to think about work. You get a chance to actually recover. So basically give yourself things to look forward to. Do the things you enjoy and be prepared to let things go. You can't always fix everything and you can't always make it right. I can guarantee that when I'm tailor fishing on Fraser Island, I do not think about work. And also, always make sure you've got a smile and kind word for others because you genuinely don't know what they're going through and that often explains some of the reactions or poor behaviours that you see in others. So, yeah, try and always be that bit more tolerant and um, accepting. That's great advice. Thank you very much. Um, thank you all, and I um, hope to cross paths with many people in the future. Many thanks, Virginia. You have been listening to a Queensland Department of Education podcast. The Department of Education acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands from across Queensland. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, as they hold the memories, the traditions, the culture, and hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.